Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you, God, that you have a word. And I thank you, Lord, that that your plan is not to just keep us stagnant. Your plan is not to save us, and, and that's it. We have our golden ticket. But, Lord, you have a plan to move us into a destiny, to empower us with your Holy Spirit, to partner with you in furthering your kingdom on the earth. So we embrace that. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are in our fourth week of our series, Holy Ghost. In the first week, we looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. And we answered the question, who is the Holy Spirit and what is his role in the life of a believer? We talked about how the Holy Spirit's role is not necessarily to give you power, but it's to make you holy. It's to develop a character in you first, to make you look more and more like Jesus and turn your heart towards him so that through that character, through the motivation of love, through the, the attitudes of service and humility, we can administer the gifts of the Spirit with the right character. And so the purpose of the Holy Spirit first is to make you holy. The second week we talked about what it means to be the dwelling place of the Lord. To be the dwelling place of his presence. The Bible calls us all temples of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have access to all of God in that moment. That God's presence resides inside of you. And last week we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And we laid some foundational, some foundational points to the remainder of our conversations as we go into this conversation about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we start talking about uh, what each gift specifically does, what it looks like practically. We're going to dive into Scripture, but let me recap for us those foundational things that we talked about, some foundational points to set up, to cue up this conversation that we're going to have this morning. Number one, what we talked about last week is that God determines which gifts you receive, and He determines the measure. He determines the amount of the gift. And you can ask for specific gifts but God may decide that he doesn't want you to have it because he has something else to exercise in you. 1 Corinthians 12:11 says very clearly that God is the one who appoints spiritual gifts. He is the one who assigns spiritual gifts to each of us. He determines which gift and the amount that you have. And the second thing we talked about is that ability and maturity are not the same thing. Remember, the Holy Spirit first wants to make you holy. He wants to develop your character before giving you power. Because if you were to operate in your power without the motivation of love, if you were to operate in the gifts of the Spirit without the motivation of love in your heart, 1 Corinthians 13 says that you are a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, that if you do not have love, then whatever gifts that you bring to the table, it is meaningless. Because love is the motivation of the spiritual gifts. It is, it, it is to serve others. That is the third thing we talked about is that spiritual gifts are not for you. They are to bless and serve other people. And it's vital that not just some believers in the church are using their gifts, but that all of us are using our gifts in harmony with one another. Because what happens is those who are operating in their gifts typically never get ministered to. And so it's very important that all of us learn what our spiritual gifts are, that we learn to recognize and we learn to honor each other's spiritual gift. Because when we look at somebody maybe that rubs us the wrong way 
and they're operating their spiritual gift, we look at them through this human fleshly lens, and we don't honor what God has placed inside of them. And when we don't honor what God has placed inside of them, we can't receive what they have to give us. Because we put up a wall. We put up a mental barrier between us and that person. And the last thing is that you have to cultivate and develop your spiritual gifts by taking risks and stepping out to use them. You have to take risks in order to use your spiritual gifts. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it's not within your comfort zone to use them. And so we step out in faith and we cultivate them by taking risks. So let's answer this question together. Start at the base. What is a spiritual gift? What is a spiritual gift? The uh, scholar and theologian Wayne Grudem, he wrote the book Systematic Theology. It's a big book uh, in the church. He defines spiritual gifts as this. Spiritual gifts are any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. So it's a very broad definition. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just define it by the list that Paul gives us, but he says that it's any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in the ministry of the church. We talked a little bit about this last week and answered the question, well, how many gifts are there? How many gifts are there? Because the New Testament has six lists of spiritual gifts, six different passages, and none of these lists include all the gifts. And none of these lists were meant to be an, exhaust, an exhaustive list. And we talked about the three categories that comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. There are different words that Paul uses when talking about spiritual. So the word there isn't even, uh, when he says now concerning the gifts of the spirit, the word gifts isn't even there. It's just the word spirituals. It's a plural word, spirituals, meaning the activity of the spirit or things of the spirit. Now here's what's concerning the spirit. And then he says this. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, there are different kinds of gifts. And the root of that word comes from the word grace, charismata, which means these are grace gifts. But the same spirit distributes them. And then he says, there are different kinds of service. It's a different word that he uses there. And it, it relates to, uh, to service like at a, at serving food or waiting on tables. They're ministry gifts. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And then he says, there are different kinds of working but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. That word working is a word that describes just the general activity of the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to focus on are the first two words, those, the grace gifts. And the word service really is referring to the list that we see in Ephesians 4. When Paul talks about, uh, some refer to it as the fivefold ministry, but he talks about apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers. And all five of those are spiritual gifts that are used for ministry, that are used for the service of the church. Prophecy, apostleship, evangelism, pastoring, teaching. These are all spiritual gifts that he is talking about. The point that Paul is making is that God has given the church a variety of spiritual gifts, and we're supposed to be able to recognize and appreciate people who have different gifts from our own. And the goal of these conversations moving forward in the next couple of weeks is to provide a common script for our church. I believe it's vital that we all clearly define and identify a spiritual gift when we see it. The Lord wants to use his church in mighty ways moving forward. The church that we saw 
uh, in the past is not the church that God wants to make us to be, but in order to step into what God wants to make us or wants to shape, God wants to shape the church in order to step into that, we have to be able to all recognize a spiritual gift when we see it and walk in our own. And so I want to provide a common language, a common script for our church so we can all start on the same ground. Somebody say amen. So depending on which New Testament lists are being used, many people, they've, they've tried to organize these spiritual gifts. And honestly, I think it's a little silly that people try to categorize it. But for the sake of clarity and unity within our church, I, I think we're going to, I think it's going to be helpful to break the spiritual gifts into four categories. And here's what we're going to do. And I'll, I'll explain why I think that's a little silly after I define what these are. Uh, but the first category we're going to talk about are serving gifts. Some refer to these gifts as love gifts. And love gifts demonstrate God's love by helping to manage, serve, and build up the body of Christ in practical and tangible ways. The second category are power gifts or manifestation gifts. Some refer to them as miraculous gifts. And power gifts display the power and the presence of the Lord among his people. They serve as evidence of the authority of God over all things. The third category is word gifts or revelatory gifts. And word gifts reveal the nature and purposes of God by demonstrating his truth. The Lord imparts or reveals information to be used to guide, warn, correct, and encourage the church while bringing glory to himself. And the last one is this. We call them foundation gifts. Some call them ministry gifts. But foundation gifts are fundamental to the establishment of the church. And those with these gifts are needed for planting new churches and ministries today. The foundation gifts are the five things that we see in Ephesians 4. Apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, teaching, and pastoring. Those are what are referred to by some as foundation gifts or ministry gifts. Now, why I think this is silly that we categorize this is that many of these gifts fit into multiple categories. For example, prophecy is considered a revelatory gift or a word gift and a foundation gift because the Lord reveals information through prophecy, but it's also fundamental to the establishment of the church. So we see some of the gifts of the Spirit, they, they fit into multiple categories, but for, our, for the purpose of our conversation and just to... For, for clarity's sake, we're going we're gonna to break them up into one category, and I'm going to probably talk about three or four at a time as we move forward in this series. Another fun fact about prophecy is that it's the only gift that consistently makes its way into every list in the New Testament, except 1 Corinthians 7, 7, where Paul refers to marriage and celibacy as gifts of the Spirit. Now, we're not going to talk about those two gifts as, as gifts of the Spirit in this series, although... Paul does talk about those as being gifts. But as we talk about these gifts, I'm going to stick with these four categories to organize our conversations. Let's start reading 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. And then we're going to jump to Romans chapter 12. And these are two of the, the bigger lists that, that, that rattle off some of the, the spiritual gifts that we're going to tackle. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 says this. There are different kinds of gifts. That's that word charismata, grace gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given the Spirit a message of wisdom. 
to another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Romans 12, verse 6 through 8. You can turn there with me if you'd like. It says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, as I read these two lists of the gifts of the Spirit, I have two questions. And maybe these are some questions that you have in your mind. But the first question that I ask when I read these is, if I don't have a particular gift, do I still have to do that thing? Because I've heard this in the church. I was, oh, I'm just not very, like, brave in front of people. Like, I don't like meeting new people. So I, my gift is in evangelism. So I'm just off the hook. I don't have to evan- I don't have to tell anybody about my faith because I don't have the gift of evangelism. But let me ask you, church: Are all Christians called to show mercy? Are all Christians called to serve others, to encourage others, to pray for the healing of others? Are we all supposed to give generously? Do we all? Are we supposed to hear from God? Are we supposed to discern what is right and wrong? Are all Christians called to have faith? Yes, yes, you are answering correctly, yes. We are all called to operate in all of these gifts. So why does having the spiritual gift make you so special? If we are all supposed to be doing these things, then what's the significance of each one of us having a spiritual gift? If you're taking notes, please write this down. This honestly changed my mindset of spiritual gifts when I heard this, and it's this. Whatever is not a spiritual gift becomes for you a spiritual discipline. Whatever is not a spiritual gift becomes a spiritual discipline. Let me give you an illustration. Last winter, we had a bunch of snow dump on us, and I got out there, I borrowed the church's shovel, which I still have in my garage, by the way, in case anybody was looking for it. I'm waiting for next year. We got a bunch of them, so don't just just lay off of me. And I'm shoveling my driveway, I'm shoveling my driveway. It honestly took me 45 minutes, maybe an hour. And I'm shoveling my driveway. It's icy. It's cold. I finally get done. I put the shovel away. And the next morning, what happens? <laughs> More snow dumps on the ground. So I get my snow clothes back on. I grab the shovel. And as I start shoveling, my neighbor next to me is making his way over to my driveway with his snow blower. And in a matter of five to ten minutes... He cleared my driveway, and I was so grateful. This is the difference between having the gift and making it a discipline. When you have the gift, there's an ease that comes to doing that thing. 
that God's grace is on you to accomplish that task. But for those who don't have that gift, we're still called to step into those things, but it may require much more discipline for you. But those with the gift step into those things naturally, as if it's second nature. And Paul says to eagerly desire the gifts. So it's okay. It's actually good and appropriate to ask God for the gift. You can ask God for a spiritual gift, but be okay with him saying no. You have to be all right if he says that he wants to exercise something else in you and he doesn't want to give you that specific gift. Because here's the reason. If everyone had all the gifts, if I was to ask God for all the gifts and he gave them all to me, then what would be the point of you? Why would I need you in my life? Right? No, God has distributed to each person different gifts because he wants us to work together in unity. We need each other. We together collectively are the body of Christ, and we collectively operate in all the gifts of the Spirit. But not one individual operates in all the gifts. Only Jesus did that. He was the only one who operated in all the gifts. God has made us not independent of one another. I don't need you. I have all the gifts. I'm good to go. He hasn't made us dependent on one another, but he has made us interdependent. We have this beautiful relationship where we rely on one another, and we encourage one another. We build and equip one another. We are inter interdependent. The second question that I have when I read those passages is this. Why do some gifts seem supernatural and the others seem so normal? So natural. For instance, you hear gifts rattled off like prophecy and miraculous powers. And then he says mercy and encouragement. And the tendency is to think of some of the gifts as supernatural, that it takes an extra boost of the Holy Spirit to do those. It takes an extra special relationship with the Lord to operate in those powers. But encouragement and administration and giving and mercy, those you can probably do on your own. No, that is not true. That is absolutely not true. We believe, our church believes in what we define as an integrated worldview, which would say that there is no separation between the sacred and the secular. That there is, not, uh, there is not an extra special relationship. You have to make yourself extra holy or spend extra time doing devotions to receive a, a supernatural, miraculous gift. And everybody else just gets the leftovers. No, no, no. That's not what we believe. But we believe that there's no separation between the sacred and the secular. For instance, Jesus, he was completely God. And he was completely man. He was both. He was 100% God and 100% man. There was no separation between the divine and the flesh. They were integrated together. Jesus was completely God, completely man. Another example is that scripture, we believe, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's, it is the absolute authority. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it was written with the hands of man. It's an integrated worldview between the sacred and the secular. And we also know that when Jesus returns to establish, when, when Jesus comes back, he's going to establish new heavens and what? A new earth. He's not coming just to establish new heavens, church. He's coming to establish a new heaven and a new earth. And so the point is that every gift of the Spirit is supernaturally empowered, no matter how natural 
or supernatural it may appear. Every gift of the Holy Spirit is equally empowered and equips you to do what God has asked you, what he has called you to do. That there is no more special relationship with God. That there is no lesser anointing that the Holy Spirit, I shouldn't say lesser anointing because the Lord does distribute the amount that we have, but there is no lesser relationship that a person can have. That we all have equal access to the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who determines the gifts and the amount that we have. Every gift is supernaturally empowered, no matter how natural or supernatural it may appear. And so today, we are going to start talking about the first category, the serving gifts or the love gifts. And I'm going to... I'm going to talk about three of them today, and we're going to talk about three more next week. But the three that we're going to talk about today, the first one is administration, or the Bible would say, some, some translations would say guidance. The second gift we're going to talk about is the gift of serving, or the gift of helps. And the third one is going to be the gift of leadership. Administration, let's talk about this one. The gift of administration, remember what I said about serving gifts. Serving gifts, they demonstrate God's love by helping to manage, serve, and build up the body of Christ in practical, intangible ways. And the first gift is administration. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It says this, And God has placed in the church first all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping. Then he says, of guidance. And that word is also translated administration and of different kinds of tongues. The Greek word for the spiritual gift of administration is kybernesis. And this is a really unique term that, that refers to a shipmaster or a helmsman. It's a nautical term. And it, the literal meaning is to steer or to rule or govern. And it carries the idea of someone who guides and directs a group of people towards a goal or destination. If you think about the helmsman on a ship, the helmsman is the one who stands between the owner of the ship and the rest of the crew. The owner of the ship is ultimately the one who decides the destination of the voyage, and he is the one who ultimately uh, knows the purpose of the ship. But the helmsman is the one who actually has their hands on the wheel, and they are steering and guiding the crew to reach that destination and to accomplish that purpose. With this gift, the Holy Spirit enables certain Christians to organize, direct, and implement plans to lead others into various ministries in the church. This, this gift is actually very closely related to leadership, but it, it's more of a goal or task-oriented gift. And it's also more concerned with details and organization. Someone with the gift of administration is able to come alongside others and serve them organizationally. It is a second seat type of leadership, that they are there to assist the leader. The person with the gift of administration, they are completely fine with the idea that my anointing, my gifting is in helping other leaders get to where they need to go by managing the details, by organizing a group of people to accomplish those tasks, by getting people there. How many of you in this room believe that you might have the gift of administration? Raise your hands. 
Not a lot of you, but I'm going to tell you, you are loved. I love you, church. We need more administrative people. You probably have this gift if your calendar is color-coordinated. Or you probably have this gift if you have an effortless skill for organizing tasks and people. You like to streamline and simplify the steps required to complete a complex task. You imagine ways to help others reach their goals, and you're at your best meeting the needs of groups and also the needs of the leaders. You don't mind addressing the little details and the, and the things that others overlook or find too menial. You embrace the details. You embrace the task. In Acts chapter 6, we see a really great example of somebody, of a group of people with the gift of administration. In Acts 6, the 12 apostles they were, the church was growing at a very rapid rate, that, that people were just coming to the faith in droves, and it was causing a problem for the apostles. They were overlooking some of the widows and the distribution of food, and so they said, we have to do something about this, that we are, we are missing some things. And this is what they said in Acts chapter 6, verse 2 through 6. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are, who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus. <laughs> All these other names, Timon, Pumbaa, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. See, notice the apostles understood their primary responsibilities included prayer and the ministry of the word. The apostles knew their gifts. That I, I, the apostles knew that I am called to pray and to administer the word to people, and they did not have the bandwidth to oversee the dis distribution of food and the church was just growing rapidly. So what did they do? They found seven men, including Stephen, with the gift of administration. And this was not some menial task to give someone who was lower on the organizational chart. Lower on the totem pole. No, they took this responsibility very seriously. And they needed administrative people who were full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And then it says they even laid hands on them. So that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this well. It was such a necessary assignment. But it was an assignment. The, the person with an administrative gift notices, hey, I need to take something off of my leader. I need to take something off of the group so that they can succeed in what God has called them to do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry on the little details. I'm going to take these tasks that are burdening them. I'm going to take it off of them so that they can succeed in what God is asking them to do. It is a serving gift. It's a love gift that says, let me help you accomplish what God is asking you to do as well. I remember leading a winter camp a couple years ago. Well, not a couple years ago. It was, it was many years ago now. For, oh, we had over 150 students at this winter camp, and they were all staying at this beautiful resort in Sun River, Oregon. And we were staying in cabins that were spread out across the resort, and we had to figure out 
how to distribute meals to the students every day because there wasn't a cafeteria to come together and, and prepare one big meal and feed everybody. Instead, uh, we had to figure out a way for them to just eat in their cabins and then meet us at the, at the chapel where we were going to worship together. And I was losing my mind trying to figure out the details of how to do this. I have all these, I got a worship team to get ready. I've got speakers to contact. I've got bus drivers. I've got other things I need to do to make sure this, this winter retreat happens. And I'm losing my mind over this silly little detail of how am I going to distribute this f- food well. And one of our youth administrators, her name was Kada, she offered to figure it out for me. And in less than an hour, church, she had the plan for how to distribute the food. And she even made a daily menu. And she printed off instructions for how to prepare each meal and put it in the the food baskets that she distributed to each cabin. And it felt supernatural, church. When she did that, I was like, how did you do that? In less than an hour, you just, it was in your head already. You just knew what to do. You printed off the menu, got the instructions. Everybody, it went so smoothly. It went so smoothly. It was a supernatural gift. And she had a grace for it that enabled me to be free to focus on what I needed to do. Some of you may be thinking, I'm administrative, but I don't feel lots of joy when I'm doing it. I... You know, it feels like just a job. Now, I'm sure that you can use that skill. If that's you, you can use that skill for the kingdom. But if it isn't effortless, if it doesn't bring you joy, then you probably have developed a discipline for it, but it's not a spiritual gift. Now, I have come a long way from finishing a biology project the night before it was due. And when I was in high school, I did this all the time. I would wait till the very last second, and I would just do a project the night before that I was supposed to be working on the entire year. And I would submit it, and I'd still get a B. And my mom would be furious that I got a B because she's hoping that I would learn my lesson. But I have come a long way from doing that. Now I force myself into rhythms and, and organize when I have to. But it is a draining task for me, church. I do not find joy in the little details and the administrative stuff. And I would rather delegate it to someone else. But if you are here and it is effortless and it brings you joy, it's something that comes naturally to you, you probably have a gift of administration. And the Lord is asking you to use that in the church. The second gift is the gift of serving or the gift of helps. And the spiritual gift of serving or ministering covers a wide range of activities in its application. There are two Greek words for this gift. The first one found in Romans 12:7 is diakonia. The basic meaning of this word is to wait tables, but it's most often translated in the Bible as ministry. And it refers to any act of service done in genuine love for the edification of the community. And there's another word. The word antilipsis is translated helping, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It has a similar meaning to help or to aid in love within the community. 1 Peter 4 describes it as this. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone serves... This is very important. They should do so with the strength that God provides. The Holy Spirit endows some believers with this gift to fill 
the many gaps of ministry and to meet the needs of the church as it fulfills the Great Commission. And the goal is to energize the church, to free up others to use their gifts to the fullest, and the result is the continued edification of the church and the added ability, the ability to see beyond its own needs and to reach out into the community. It is a service gift. It is a love gift that says, let me take some things off of your plate. We see people with this gift and pass it. I'm sure that some of the men in Acts chapter 6 had this gift as well. Uh, those with the gift of service are committed to spread the, go- the, the they're, they're committed to spread the gospel. They know that uh, by serving, that I am not just, I'm not just doing a menial task that nobody sees. They know that by serving, I'm actually forwarding the gospel. That I serve with the strength that, Lord's, that the Lord provides. And when I serve, the Lord is watching me and he is proud of me. And by serving others, by helping others, I am releasing the gospel to be preached in other ways, in various forms. Ways that I am not very good at. But people with the gift of serving have this amazing way to fly under the radar and do things that nobody sees. And at all times, they just have the best attitude. You know somebody like this? There are so many. Church, i got to tell you, I, I don't think I know any other church um, that has more people with the gift of serving than our church. I think there are so many of you in this room that have this gift where you do things on your own without any recognition, without anybody seeing it, to bless the church. And you have a great attitude about it. And that's what blesses me the most is that you're, you're not bitter, that you're not... You're not looking for recognition, but, but, but you find joy in it. And you always have a great attitude. I love what 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15 through 18 says. It says, you know the how, that the household of Stephanes, man, I'm butchering these words, Stephanes, were the first converts of Achaia, And they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. And I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunus, whatever, Achaeus arrived. Listen to what it says. I know you guys are making fun of me. Listen, I don't study how to pronounce words. It says, they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men and women deserve recognition. This is what people with the gift of service do. They refresh. They refresh people. They refresh their spirits. They supply what is lacking. What nobody else sees, what nobody else does, they do it on their own accord. They do it well. They do it with joy. And it's refreshing. It brings life. Now, here's the problem. People with this gift... Um, they, they have a tendency to just go, 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 to keep going. But remember what First Peter tells us. It says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. And this is important because this gift requires constant strength from the Lord or else you become exhausted and burnt out. People with this gift, they serve and they serve and they serve. And sometimes they go too long without any recognition. And that's the, that's the leadership's fault. That's my fault. If you've been serving, if you've been giving, and you've been helping, and you feel like you haven't received any recognition, that is my fault. And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. But they will go, and they'll go, and they'll go, and they won't get filled up. But they don't know how refreshing they are being. 
It's never been told to them. But when people in our church serve and, and, and they come and they do things that nobody else sees, you don't know how refreshing it is for, for those of us who don't do it. To look at, the, to, to look at the flowers at the front of the church, Barb Bickle, she's probably serving right now in the cafe. Is that where she's at? She's cutting strawberries and getting grapes ready and getting the soup ready. Barb Bickle has an, an enormous gift in this area. Did you notice the beautiful flowers when you walked into the church? They were just blooming and colorful and beautiful. My kids hopped out of the car. The first thing they saw were those flowers. Wow, look at all these flowers. Can I pick some for mom, dad? No, don't touch the flowers. But, but see, Barb comes in on her own time, and she just does those things. She weeds. Her and Rich both. They're out here weeding the gardens and planting flowers and taking care of the outside. The Bickles are amazing. You probably... Rich is in the back here, ushering every single Sunday, serving us every single Sunday, passing out communion. He's helping count the offering. Uh, he does so much. And they do it without any recognition. They do it without any want of recognition. And they have wonderful attitudes about it. They have an anointing in this area. They have a gift of serving. I'm sure this church is full of people with this gift. And you deserve all the recognition. Jethro and Cheryl Brewer, you as well. You operate in this gift in such ways. Jethro comes here when, when Cheryl's work. Cheryl will be working in the office, and Jethro will just show up and start painting something or, or pressure washing something or put fill in a hole that's been dug up or spray paint the parking lines. I don't tell him to do any of that. He just shows up and just paints the lines in the parking lot. And I, I look at that, and I'm refreshed. I go, wow, I, I didn't even think about that. And I'm glad that he was thinking about that, but I feel refreshed when people are operating in their gifts like that. And the last gift that we're going to talk about this morning is the spiritual gift of leadership. The spiritual gift of leadership is actually closely related to the gift of, of administration. And interestingly, the spiritual gift of the pastor and the shepherd. The Greek word for the spiritual gift of leadership is proistomai, uh, and this word means to lead or to assist, to protect, and to care for others. The spiritual gift of leadership is found in Romans 12, 8, and if you noticed, it's sandwiched between the gifts of giving and mercy, and it's placed there intentionally to show that this is a gift associated with caring for others. And this is what connects it to the gift of pastor-shepherd and what differentiates it from the gift of administration. It's more people-oriented more people oriented than task-oriented in its application. And this is not to say that those with the gift of administration don't care about people. That's not what I'm saying. Of course they do. But those with the spiritual gift of leadership, they focus on people and relationships more directly. And this Greek word is connected to caring for people in other passages as well, like in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says to respect those who labor among you and who are over you. That's the same Greek word, proistemai. Uh, uh, he says, uh, respect those who labor over you uh, in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The labor and work of those who were leading the believers in Thessalonica was that of tirelessly caring for their souls. People with the gift of leadership, they, they care for people's souls tirelessly. And Paul also connects leadership 
to caring for others when he asks, if someone does not know how to manage, that's the same Greek word of leadership, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? The Holy Spirit gives the spiritual gift of leadership to some in the church to care for God's people, to lead them into deeper relationship with Christ and to each other. They base their success on how well they help others succeed and grow in their spiritual walk with Jesus. They're able to accomplish many relationally, uh, excuse me, many different tasks and objectives as they lead, but they always lead relationally and with deep concern for the well-being of others. They are visionary, so they focus more on the group, moving the group forward, deepening the relationships of the whole group. They are more visionary and less concerned with mundane details that those with the spiritual gift of, of administration do. Many leaders are entrepreneurial and willing to take risks to see the kingdom of God advance through the church. And they go to great lengths to protect those under their care and are well-equipped to lead through crisis situations. Now, here's a test to figure out the difference between uh, the gift of leadership and the gift of shepherding. I have, I think, a, a little mixture of both of these, but church, I have something to confess to you. I'm not really a pastor. I, I, I think when it comes to the spiritual gifts, I tend to lean more towards the leadership side than the pastoring side. And here's why I know this, is when you read the parable of Jesus, when he says that there was a shepherd who left the 99 sheep to go find the one, if you are somebody who says, why did he leave 99 sheep? You're probably a leader. Why did he leave the 99 sheep to go after the one? I mean, he's got 99 right here. But a shepherd or a pastor would say, no, I'm going to go find the one. I'm going to go care for the one who was lost. I'm going to go seek them out and bring them back. Now, I tend to, to focus on the group, to, to say, how do we get as a group, how do we move forward into deeper relationships with God? How, how do I see people succeed in achieving uh, the, 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 or, or experiencing the spiritual gifts that God has placed in them? How do I see people move into deeper relationships with the Lord to keep people moving forward? That's, that's me. I, I want to see the group move forward. And so the, the real test is to see, well, if you are somebody who says, I would leave the 99 to go find the one, you probably have more of a pastoring or a shepherding gift versus somebody who says, no, I'm not leaving the 99. i got to move this group forward. You probably have a leadership gift. Administration, serving, leadership. Next week, we're going to talk about the gift of giving, the gift of mercy, what was the last one? I've got it down here somewhere. There's one other. It'll be a surprise. <laughs> Giving mercy. I've got it. What is it? No, not that one. I'll figure it out. But here's what I want to do. I want to invite Mary to come up as we end our time together. And I think it is so appropriate that we're taking communion on this particular Sunday. Because... We're talking about love gifts. We're talking about serving gifts, gifts that say, let me operate in what God has given me a grace for so that you can operate in what God has given you a grace for. They are service. They are love gifts. And there was no greater act of love 
and no greater service that God did for us than when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Because the act of Jesus dying on the cross is what made you a suitable place for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside. And when the Lord came, when Jesus died, and when he cleansed your heart, when he cleansed you of all the unrighteousness, when he took out all the filth, the Holy Spirit could, could then come move in and dwell inside of you. So this morning as we take communion, let's say thank you to the Lord. Let's say thank you for what he has done, that we have access to his Holy Spirit. Would you take the bread, open it up? If you're unfamiliar with the story of communion, Jesus, the night before, the night that he was arrested, the night before he went to the cross, he shared a meal with his disciples, and he broke bread with them, and he said, this that you're holding in your hand, this is my body that is broken for you. And Jesus was saying that my body is about to be broken so that yours can find wholeness. Your body, I want, I want abundant life for you. I'm paraphrasing Jesus' words, but Jesus, he wants abundant life for you. He has a good life for you. Not a smooth life, not an easy life, but he has a good life for you. And he broke his body so that your body can experience a good life. Jesus, thank you for breaking your body on the cross. Thank you for humbling yourself, for, for turning off that divine tap and being completely man and completely God. Thank you for doing that, for experiencing all the pain, all the, the betrayal, all the heartache, all the... The questions, all the, all, all, the, all the pain that we experience in life, Jesus can sympathize with you. He knows what you're going through because he himself went through that. Thank you, Jesus, for bearing that. And Lord, we receive your body in faith knowing that we have been crucified with you and we are being resurrected. We have been resurrected with you and are given the Spirit. So let's take this together. Take the cup. After breaking the bread, Jesus took a cup of wine and he said, This is my blood that is poured out for you. It's the forgiveness of your sins. It's what gives you access to God's presence. Jesus' blood is what does that. There's no other way. But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice who did no wrong, who committed no sin. And he shed his blood, his innocent blood, because he wanted to see you free. And he wanted you to have a relationship with his Father. And the only way that we do that is by our temples being cleansed and the Holy Spirit coming and living inside of it. So Jesus, thank you for your gift, the ultimate gift, the ultimate love gift. You poured out your blood so that we can have a relationship with the Father. And we are so grateful. Lord, we remember what you've done. We receive it in Jesus' name. Let's take it together, church. Father, we love you and we thank you that you're shaping and molding us.
we continue to surrender to you. We continue to give everything to you. In your name we pray. And the church said, amen. We love you, church. Remember to stick around for a while. Grab some soup and uh, vote on what you think is the tastiest soup. I'll see you in there.